Do you or somebody you know hoard? You aren't alone. Hoarding affects millions of people throughout the world. You can do something about it and regain personal control. Welcome to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over with host Elaine Birchall. Reduce and relieve yourself from the shame and blame clutter causes in your life. You can do it and we'll show you how. Now, here is your host, Elaine Birchall. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over. Every Wednesday from 10 until 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 till 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America's Variety Channel. I'm Elaine Birchall, your host, here to help you tackle those piles and pathways. And today, to have an honest look at whether a situation you're living with or you know about is devotion or a disorder because it's become animal hoarding. I have had an extraordinary number of calls to my office yesterday alone from very uneasy callers about today's show topic. The majority were long distance calls. I could tell that by the ring and almost certainly from people who have or believe they know someone who's living with animal hoarding. They wouldn't give their names and they wanted to know a few questions anonymously. How many animals are too many? How do you know if what you're living with is animal hoarding? So let's be sure to answer those questions before today's show is over. We are so lucky this week to have our guest, an expert, Dr. Gary Patronick. He's a renowned veterinarian and epidemiologist. Dr. Patronick is going to give us expert information on animal hoarding. In order to get the most out of this valuable information and to make it available for all of our listeners from over 11 countries, which tuned in last week alone, we're only going to open the line to callers in segment three. And I'll let you know when we get to that point. First, let me tell you a little about Dr. Patronick so you can fully appreciate the quality of information you're going to receive today. Dr. Patronick currently works as an independent consultant and adjunct professor at the Cumming School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. He's a past shelter director, vice president for animal welfare at the Animal Rescue League of Boston and former director of the Tufts Center for Animal and Public Policy. Dr. Patronick was a founder of the Hoarding of Animals Research Consortium. The acronym for that is HARC, H-A-R-C, a multidisciplinary group of investigators who conducted much of the initial research concerning animal hoarding. The work of HARC was instrumental in animal hoarding being included in the Diagnostic of Manual Health Disorders, version 5, issued in May 2013, so it's very current information. Dr. Patronick has published over 50 peer review papers and textbook chapters, many of which deal with animal welfare and shelter issues. He was one of the authors and editors of the Guidelines for Standards of Care in Animal Shelters and put forth the auspices 
under the auspices of the Association of Shelter of Animal Shelters and the Association of Shelter Veterinarians and is one of three co-editors for the new book, Animal Maltreatment, Forensic Mental Health Issues and Evaluations, published by Oxford University Press in October 2015. Because of his deep experience, both at a research and hands-on level, no one knows more about animal hoarding than Dr. Patronek. We are extremely lucky that he's joining us on today's show to help us understand and address what is a very complex experience of animal uh, care. Welcome, Dr. Patronick, and thank you for being with us today. With the definition of animal hoarding being the failure to provide minimal nutrition, sanitation, and veterinary care, failure to act on the deteriorating condition of the animals or the environment, and the failure to act on or recognize the negative impact of the collection on their own health and well-being. I'm wondering, Dr. Patronick, if you can tell us a little bit about what the following situations look like in real life. And those questions are, is the meaning of minimal nutrition? Um, well, it's just so, technology, but I think we're on now, so that's good. I apologize for the brief uh, brief delay. No, not a problem at all. So we had a lot of calls to my office, all right, um, like an extraordinary number yesterday alone after the press release went out. So I know that there are a lot of very concerned and anxious people who are listening in today. And I, I'd like to really make this um, what the situation with animal hoarding and if we went through the definition looks like in real life like when the rubber hits the road what's the meaning of minimal nutrition well i think what i would say is relate this to your own experience you know um you know we're trying to set some some minimal standards here obviously not we're not trying to set optimal standards and we're trying to define a problem but certainly an animal should be in normal body weight in terms of how it looks in terms of you know the sort of things surrounding food an animal should have access to clean water regularly throughout the day and night an animal should be able to eat in peace without being without having to compete with other animals and potentially be pushed aside um, you know the food should be wholesome fresh nutritious etc cetera, etc cetera. So really, uh, really not a standard that's much different from, you know, how would you, how you would want to certainly feel yourself about about your nutritional status and how you would want your own pets to feel. Absolutely. Can you define what it means, um, minimal sanitation, just so people can understand in real life what that looks like? Well, that's a, a a good question, I suppose, because obviously we all have a range of <laughs> of how we live in, in in our own homes with our animals and, and with our families. But uh, you know, to maybe if I backpack this uh, into the other direction, when we see hoarding cases, what we see are 
and I, I don't want to get too graphic here, so please do uh-huh. stop me if I'm if I'm crossing a line. But you know, when we go into the worst of these cases, and that's kind of where our definition started to come from, was you know being called into cases where things were way out of control and they had really deteriorated into a situation where law enforcement was called in. That's how bad it was. Right. And in those situations, I mean, really the houses were often unlivable because of the accumulation of urine and fecal matter throughout the home, um, on every surface, uh, you know, and so, so that's how, that's, that's how bad it can get. I mean, houses that literally have to be condemned because the, you know, the, the floorboards have been soaked, for example, and the, and the walls are soaked. Um, so obviously everyone, you know, has, everyone has, um, has perhaps different standards of how they live with their, with their pets and maybe it varies from day to day and week to week, how busy you are, et cetera, but maybe a, a, a guideline, certainly there shouldn't be frank fecal matter and urine all over the floor. I mean, I think most people yeah. would agree that that's, that's, that's way below a minimal standard. But if uh, someone came to your door and came into the house, how would you feel about it? Maybe that's way to maybe that somebody you hadn't met was coming to visit. You know, how would you feel about how your house looked? Maybe that's a way to start thinking about this a little bit. Okay, okay. And if you could give us an idea, so in my experience, animal hoarding is a continuum, right? And and absolutely, that's a really important point. It's you know, much of our information, as I mentioned, comes from the the sort of what I call the worst possible cases, but it absolutely yeah. does occur from from that all the way up to, you know, something that approaches typical pet ownership. Absolutely. And so I'm thinking of all of these people. There probably were 50 calls yesterday alone to my office, one phone number, asking, how do I know if I'm in an animal hoarding situation. And these people, you know, asked first if we had collar display or collar identification. So they are out there, they're listening, and they're worried. And so when would you say the threshold has started to be breached with... I guess the answer to that would be, and maybe this is, is, is a little bit too easy, but I would say if someone calls and they're worried, then that's time to start looking at the situation carefully and really asking some, some, perhaps some tough questions. Okay. Um, you know, there's no way to give you a number, and that's the most common thing the media has always wanted to know when there's a when there's a case in town. You know, how many is too many? And you know, someone when you work in an animal-oriented profession where you're working with shelter people and veterinarians and technicians, et cetera, we all know people who, if I were to give you a number and say it's this much. And then I'm sure I could find somebody who was N plus one and they'd be doing fine. So so it is much more than a a specific number of animals. It's the number of animals and your capacity to provide adequate care for them. And one person may be able to do fine under certain circumstances with the facilities they have, with the help they have. Another person with the same number of animals might be very overwhelmed. So I guess I would say that if you're calling and you're concerned uh, maybe that's just a warning sign to be thinking about evaluating the situation. That's a great way to look at it, Dr. Patronick. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm, and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Hello, Dr. Patrick. Welcome back. So before the break, we were talking about sanitation. What would be the definition of minimal veterinary care? Well, this gets a little, it's a good question. It gets a little more complicated when we're talking about large numbers of animals. Because with, you know, certainly with our our, um, individual pets and we have a few in the household, uh, you know, perhaps a once or twice yearly visit to the veterinarian with routine vaccinations is going to be perfectly sufficient to keep everybody healthy and happy. It's a lot more complicated when there are larger numbers of animals involved because you have, you know, you have greater concerns with many different types of infectious diseases, um, especially when animals may be entering the, you know, the, the group from, you know, sources that you don't know too much about. So, Again, that's where it gets a bit fuzzy. With a couple of animals, you might be fine with that annual or, you know, at least an annual visit, maybe twice, depending on, you know, the age of the animal and what they need. But when you start to try to care for multiple animals, large groups of animals in a confined setting, um, that's where appropriate, um, you know, understanding a more sophisticated vaccination strategy might be important, having appropriate quarantine areas appropriate um, methods to recognize infectious disease symptoms when they start to set in and and being able to not only isolate those animals, but come up with a treatment plan. Um, And that's where something like that, you know, if you, and and most actually are are quite willing to at some point with sufficient notice, you know, setting up a home health plan when you do have large numbers of animals 
or larger numbers of animals um, can be the way to go. Um, we okay. address this a lot when we're talking about shelter standards because shelters are the you know the quintessential place where you have large numbers of animals that you don't know too much about. And that is very much, it's actually a specialty now in veterinary medicine, trying to abort a specialty like cardiology is or surgery is, for example, because it does take special skills to keep um, large numbers of animals of the same degree of health that you'd want an individual animal to be in. Absolutely. What about spaying and neutering, particularly if you've got a lot of animals and they're interbreeding? Yeah, well, that's, again, something that shouldn't be happening because usually the last thing one needs in these kinds of situations is any increasing um, pressure on the population. And that, again, is where, you know, I I would suspect that every community in America has resources available to help people who are in need. Um, You know, most shelters can put you in touch with those kinds of resources. Um, Some have mobile vans. You know, they'll come right to your neighborhood and and help you. Others, if you're working with that shelter director in a collaborative um, way, you know, because you do feel that things are a little out of control, most of them are willing to do all kinds of things to help you work cooperatively with them to get, you know, keep things under control. So it's extremely important. Uh, So if someone senses, like many of the people who called yesterday, um, and probably hundreds and hundreds more who didn't call, um, if they sense that they have more animals than they can comfortably manage, what would you suggest would be first steps, options to start to deal with that? Well, because of course, those yeah, animals, really they, they form an attachment to these animals. Oh, absolutely. Often, I mean, any, yeah. I don't know how many of your listeners are sitting there with pets right now, but my little pooch is sitting right next to me, and I couldn't imagine spending my days without her close by, so I completely get that. Um, it's going to probably depend a little bit on what community you're in, but as a general rule, um, if you were to approach your veterinarian, that would probably assume you have a, a you know a good rela- a working relationship with that person. If you were to just start that conversation with him or her um, and just express your concerns, et cetera, that might be a place to start. And you know, to do a home visit, to look at the situation, see, gee, you know, is it really you know out of control? Are we worried here? Or is it something that just a little bit of dusting up is going to get you know get under control? If okay. you feel that you know especially if there's litters of animals. You know, that's something that shouldn't be happening because those animals are also more susceptible to infectious diseases. Those are animals that should be placed for adoption. And, you know, either your veterinarian can refer you. Sometimes they help with this themselves to their clinic or, you know, your local shelter. Um, Again, paying this with a very broad brush or rescue group can help find those animals very good homes. Okay. Um, If you don't have that relationship, if you've become isolated, like many of the people who found themselves in animal hoarding situations who I've worked with, they they had become pretty isolated and they didn't have um, good working relationships with people. What's the first step for them in your experience? Well, you know, that's the time to start, I guess I would say, and I know it's not easy, but maybe the way to start is to, you know, hopefully there is someone that you can reach out to, a friend, a neighbor, a relative, and, you know, that could be the person who says, well, of course I have a veterinarian that I love, or I've been working with this shelter for years, et cetera. Most people who are in this situation do know somebody that they trust and, and, and have some confidence in, and that person could be the segue, perhaps, to the appropriate resources. 
one could also cold call these things. And, and again, I think that even if you don't have a relationship, if you're approaching the, the issue with real sincerity and a, and, a, and a desire for help, if you reach out to any of these individuals, veterinarians or people working in shelters or rescue groups, everyone is going to be willing to help and to listen. Right. And, you know, if, if people are out there and they really feel after looking at their network that they have nobody who's closer, they can always contact me through www.hoarding.ca, the contact us feature on my website. Tell me where, how many animals you have, what the condition is, and where you live. And we can do some research and see what resources possibly might be available in your area. So the, the next question, I guess, comes from the different, a different end of the stick, Dr. Patronick. What is a person's duty to report if someone believes that they have a hoarding, an animal hoarding situation or they know of an animal hoarding situation? Well, I don't know if there's any specific legal duties in most states. Again, that's going to vary because animal cruelty laws are, 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 going to be, um, are going to be different in every state. It's not a federally regulated thing. It's something that is different in each of the 50 states. Um, veterinarians now in, in more and more states, um, you know, are mandated to report suspected animal abuse. But again, I think with a situation like this, we're, we're in a different grayer area, and it's it's very different. I mean, the classic situation there that one is thinking about with mandated reporting is you get a, an animal in, and it's got a very suspicious broken leg, you know, just like a child might, for example, and you suspect uh-huh. there's deliberate abuse going on. You're concerned about the animal safety. You're concerned about the uh, the safety of other people in the household. With the kind of situation we're talking about here, often it is very gray, and it's, it may well not be something that's out of control yet. It may just be something that needs, needs a little bit of upgrading or, or, or some assistance to downsize. And that's not a situation where, you know, veterinarians certainly would, would be likely to be calling authorities as long as someone is coming and saying, please, you know, I need some help. Can you help me? You know, everybody would welcome that kind of cooperation, as would a shelter. Um, in terms of the general public, again, that's probably an ethical an ethical issue. Um, you know, certainly for um, human you know human health and well being in, in various states, and you would know more about this than I do, Elaine. Uh-huh, there are uh-huh. there are mandated reporters like teachers and doctors and things for various kinds of um, you know perhaps elder abuse and neglect and things like that Absolutely. and child neglect. Yeah, um, yep, the general sure. public doesn't have those kinds of obligations, but really in terms of the health and welfare of everybody involved, if you suspect something is going on, it's certainly a reasonable thing to try to, um, you know, figure out how can we get this person, you know, to start engaging with everybody else and help everybody involved. And get the help they need in the animals as well, because it's easy to lose control. In situations really is to help. Yeah, for sure. So you you kind of foresaw my my next question. How frequently in your experience does elder and child neglect or abuse coexist with animal hoarding? You know, the data are certainly imperfect, but in my experience, I would say maybe 10 to 15 percent of the time. Okay, so what's happening to the animals 10 to 15 percent of the time is having... Um, a secondary effect on elderly people living in the environment and children? 
Because, sure, again, this, uh, this is an, you know, the, the sort of strange thing about our laws in the U.S., or maybe paradoxical is a better word, um, is that a, a person is legally, a competent adult person is legally allowed to live in conditions in which it would be illegal to keep an animal or a child or perhaps a dependent elder. So how a person sure. chooses to live, live themselves is one thing, but when they start um, imposing those same conditions on others, then you can run into some conflicts. Yeah, and other vulnerable populations. Is the prevalence rate still estimated at 88 per 100,000? I'm sorry, I missed that question. Could you please repeat the, it? The, the prevalence rate of animal hoarding, is it still estimated at 88 per 100,000? No, I don't think anyone really has good data. I mean, I, I, okay. I think what we can say is that um, it, it's certainly present in every community in America. Uh, you know, it's not an isolated thing, but it's also something, you know, it's not something that's so frequent that it's, you know, causing problems every day. It, it's, it's almost like an orphan disease. When it occurs, it's really bad, and it can cause mm-hmm. a lot of suffering for all involved, but um, we really don't have good data on the incidents because there's just nobody reporting it. Um, are there common aspects um, among people who hoard animals? Like what does what does the profile? Um, well, or is there, there a profile? Well, there is and there isn't. You know, it's like with with anything, there are always stereotypes, and, and the stereotype in, in this particular case is is the quote unquote neighborhood cat lady, and that was typically, um, and you can see this even parodied in cartoons and things, which which really isn't fair. Um, where it's an older person, older, usually a woman, living alone um, in an isolated area without a lot of people coming in and out or friends or family and lots of animals around them. You know, probably lower on the soci- socioeconomic end um, and maybe not very high in the educational spectrum. That's the stereotype. And certainly what we have seen in our cases, and this has been confirmed over and over again, is it really can be anybody. Um, you know, we've seen this in married couples. Um, we've seen this certainly in upper middle class situations. We've seen this in white collar professionals. Um, and sadly, it's even been seen in healthcare professionals. And I'm talking about both veterinarians and human psychiatrists. So that shows you the range. You know, even though the stereotype may be there, it really is something that can affect men, women, rich, poor, um, anywhere in the country. Right. I know from um, my work that, you know, there are five psychiatric models uh, for animal hoarding, and I won't go into them now, but certainly that's true. It cross-sex. It doesn't respect any economic level, any socioeconomic level, education level. Um, It very much depends on and is um, driven by the vulnerabilities of the person. Uh, what is, in your experience, is the benefit um, of research on a humane education in schools? I'm sorry, I missed that last little part of research where? Of uh, humane education in schools. Well, um, you, you know, that's, a, that's, that's sort of an, a, a bit of an unknown in and of itself, because while people in, in shelters have been talking about doing this for years and years, um, and and it, it sort of goes in and out of vogue. Um, you know, the, what, the, the efficacy in terms of, you know, how you measure the impact of it is, is really kind of unknown. 
where it, it probably can't hurt, and so I, I would never suggest it hurts. Whether it helps or not, we don't know. But where I would see it being relative to um, animal hoarding would be just sensitizing, um, I guess you're talking about children that are in school, sensitizing right. children to the needs of the animals and, you know, helping them perhaps recognize if, if things are, are not right. And that may also, again, sensitize them and, and encourage them to talk about things that they may be uncomfortable about in their own lives. Because as I say, if, if, if animals are, are, are being kept in a situation that's not great for them, it may well be that the children are not as well. And, and we all know that from, you know, working with, with kids in a, in a therapeutic capacity, more and more people are realizing that kids will often say things to or about animals that they wouldn't say otherwise. Right. That's so they might express true. concern over how their dog was being kept um, or their kitties or a number of animals are being kept. Um, and, and it could just as easily be a, a metaphor about their own concern you know, for their own lives. For themselves. Um, what, in your experience, is the relapse rate um, of individuals who hoard animals? Again, our, our data are so imperfect here, but Elaine, but it's uh, it's believed to be very, very high, um, and that I, I think is partly because of the, the the way we approach these cases, at least historically, where they were approached purely through the criminal justice system, which was really the, the biggest tool that that communities had, and they didn't understand the complexity, and uh, you know, a person was uh, perhaps even prosecuted. But those laws are not terribly strong laws, and they also don't provide much um, in terms of, of, of therapy or, or, or solutions. You know, essentially, they, they, they basically take away the, the problem temporarily, but they don't really provide any long-term solutions. And so, you know, I guess we're all hopeful that if we can start looking at this not just as a criminal justice issue, but as a mental health issue that is amenable to intervention and, and does require some long-term intervention, we won't be talking then about, you know, recidivism rates that are way over 90%. No, for sure. And I know that, uh, you know, we really, I in my experience, have not had a very good quality um, intervention strategies or techniques or options for people. So I think that that high recidivism rate, that high relapse rate, is a function of our failure as a society too, um, to offer people who have uh, various mental health disorders or have been stuck isolated with whatever little problem they have growing exponentially until it's beyond their control. And then they're even more isolated and then stigmatized as well. And the high, high uh, relationship of many forms of animal hoarding to the attachment problems, how meaningful these animals are in their life, sometimes to the exclusion of healthy or positive human relationships as well. Um, I just think that we don't, we haven't had very good options and we have stigmatized it. I agree completely with, uh, with what you just said, Dr. Patrick. That's certainly true here as well. Um, so, where, um, in your experience, has the best have the best options? What is the place that would have the best standard uh, of a model for intervention developed? Are are there uh, organizations? Are there places? I know Tufts University, um, the veterinary school there certainly. You know, through your work has done um, a lot of work. 
where would we go to look for the best standard to start to model better intervention, better approaches? Well, a couple of places, and that's a good question too. Um, one of the, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, one of the things I think with general, general reporting disorder, and again, you would know this better than I probably, um, is that this is often most effectively addressed by a, a task force because there's so many different components to it. You know, it's not just a, a single point of, of care kind of intervention. And the communities, and these vary around the country, but there are many of them out there, you know, they do have community-wide hoarding task forces to deal with hoarding in general. These are multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, you know, they try to bring in the entire um, group of potential stakeholders that are involved, you know, through all of them, all the municipal and nonprofit agencies in town. The animal hoarding can be added to that, and some communities are doing that, and they have the animal control and shelters and veterinarians in the mix, but others don't. And so I guess my Dr. Patrick, suggest- can we co- can we finish this after the break? I I kind of sure. got ahead of myself there. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Patronick is with us. Um, He's an expert in veterinary care and in very, very experienced in animal hoarding. And we're going to open the lines now to any callers who want to call in. I do have a few questions from people who called the office yesterday, didn't want to call into the show. The first caller was very interested in knowing what is the description of an animal hoarder? Can, you, can we briefly uh, give some information on that, Dr. Patronick? 
Sure. Um, again, the very sh- very short story here would be someone who has more than the typical number of pets. And, you know, it, it, when you do the ranges, the average person doesn't have usually more than about four or five. It doesn't mean you can't have more, and I would never stigmatize that. But when you look at an entirety, it's someone who has, for better or worse, uh, you know, a menagerie. You know, it's a lot of animals. Um, they're usually acquiring, trying to acquire more animals. And then at some point along the line, they become very, um, they lose insight, I guess would be the word, um, about the actual condition of the animals and the environment. And they proceed in their desire to acquire and or keep the animals they've got, you know, resist any help to downsize, place animals for adoption, et cetera, despite the deteriorating care. The problem being that... um, People genuinely do not. When I say lack insight, I do mean that they don't. They don't see what you and I would see looking at the same environment and looking at the same animals. Absolutely, the insight is a wonderful um, way to look at it, destigmatizing it. Uh, the second question was: an owner of five dogs and nine cats wanted to know how many pets are you allowed to have, and when is it considered hoarding? But we, we did talk about that a little bit earlier, that there isn't a number because different people can manage different numbers of animals. And I have friends that would fit that category right there with that same number, and they do perfectly fine with them. So, you know, it really does vary individually. I guess my point would be, because we're not talking, again, about just a numbers thing. It's about all these other conditions, the lack of insight, the deteriorating conditions, the failure to meet minimal standards, et cetera. Um, that is part and parcel to it. It would be really a, a terrible thing to do to try to identify this purely by number. And that's why we generally recommended that pet limit laws are a very poor way to approach this problem because they don't speak to the very wide differences amongst individuals and in their ability to provide love and care. And I guess one of the acid tests of that um, is that if you're still having people openly in your home socializing you're part of a network you're not isolated you're not um you haven't become distanced from your own life um if the animals have become your main the main focus of your life to the exclusion of other things that would be a good way probably too to realize that things might be a little out of balance. And, you know, we do have to say that municipalities all over the world have set um, limits, animal uh, numbers of the number of dogs, the number of cats, the number of other animals that you're allowed to have by bylaw standards. And that's not necessarily the same thing as animal hoarding. Um, The next caller wanted to know, if I can care for all of the animals, and of course, um, you know, that's that's a very subjective opinion um, that I have. Why am I called an animal hoarder? Well, you may not be. That's the point. If, if you're caring, because it is not a numbers issue. If the animals are truly getting good care and you and, and the environment is suitable, their animals are healthy, there's no infectious diseases, they're well-fed, they're socialized, they're getting love and attention, I don't think anyone would call that person an animal hoarder. I wouldn't. Okay. The next caller uh, wanted to know, how can I get assistance with someone who is an animal hoarder if I live in a remote area? 
that is a tougher one because resources are obviously thin in those in those kinds of communities. You know, potentially, I would start in two places. I would start with a local veterinarian and have a conversation with them. You know, in the most general terms, if you need to, you know, to protect privacy, etc and or the local shelter director and get a sense of, you know, what resources they can offer uh, or what they, what ideas they might have uh, in terms of who to reach out to. If you're really hitting a dead end there, um, the next step would be to check at the state level. You know, there are usually state federations of humane societies in many states or state animal control organizations who might have some ideas. Um, and if push comes to shove, you can certainly look, again, to national organizations, national humane organizations like the Humane Society of the United States or the ASPCA in New York, who, uh, you know, again, do different levels of national outreach and certainly know who's who in different areas. So that would be, you know, initial places that I would say to start with. If you happen to know someone in the local rescue community, that might be another way to, to reach out. Okay. The internet also, I guess, if you're really isolated, because all countries have the equivalent of state or federal. We have provincial and federal, and I know countries from all over the world, Britain, Australia, um, you know, any one of the 11 countries that tuned in last week. You have an equivalent. It's just called by a different name. Um, so that's a good way to start and the internet if all else fails if you find that you really truly have nobody then www.hoarding.ca through our contact us feature and we'll give you whatever help we reasonably can to get in touch with resources that you need another question is because you know animal care animal interaction Uh, the purposes for having animals varies with the individual. Um, Is chaining or tethering a form of neglect or abuse, in your opinion? And if that's a continuum or kind of a shady area, um, when would it become neglect and abuse? Well, we're talking about something that's a bit different from animal hoarding. So we're talking about a specific method of of, um, confining an animal. Or animals, or or numbers of animals. So to take the most extreme, I mean, there certainly are states in the United States where permanent tethering is is illegal because it's considered a form of cruelty. Because animals need exercise, they need socialization, they need protection from the elements, all those sorts of things. And basically the idea is that a a tethered dog is basically a a forgotten or abandoned dog. Now that said, uh, certainly... You know, there's a lot of gray area there because many people don't have a fenced-in yard and they want to put their dog out for a while, and they put them on a long lead in their home and they're watching, et cetera, and that dog is in the home during the day and he's not outside when the weather is really bad, either too hot or too cold, et cetera. Um, very different situation entirely from somebody who just, you know, puts the dog out back, tethers it, and then basically may throw it some food occasionally and otherwise ignores it. So right. you have to be sensitive to the individual situation. You also need to be thinking about the type of dog and the weather. You know, a tiny little short-haired dog in very, very, you know, weather extremes, very cold weather, is not going to be able to be tethered out for very long at all, whereas a big, heavy northern breed, you know, you see people that do sled dog work, for example, and those dogs just live in the snow and they don't seem to be nearly as adversely affected. So there's a, a huge range, you know, of, of sizes and shapes and coats coat thicknesses of dogs that factor into this. But the, the big picture that I think you're getting at is should a family pet, should a beloved animal be permanently kept 
outside on a chain and deprived of exercise and socialization with other dogs, with other people, and, and love from his human family? And the answer to that is no. Right. What are the risks for an inexperienced person to physically intervene with a distressed animal if they were to find you know, their neighbor, you know, went out in the animal was an animal hoarding situation. They went out and they saw the condition of distressed animals. What are the risks? And if there are risks, what should they do instead? I'm not sure exactly what's meant by risk. I mean, risk to the intervener, to the person? Yes, or to the animal. Well, again, that's where, you know, this isn't sort of the quote-unquote amateur hour, and I don't mean to be flippant there, but if you really believe that animals are at risk and and there's a problem, then you really should be calling your local human agency or your local animal control agency and getting somebody in who can, you know, who has expertise to assess the situation. And that if, in fact, the animals themselves, you know, are are, are a danger, they're going to know legally what can be done and, you know, what processes are required to do that in a way that protects everybody involved. So make the call. Don't try to intervene yourself. Well, or get information. I mean, obviously, if an animal is in immediate distress, um, then you're going to have to think about, you know, literally a life-threatening situation. And I suppose that's a very different kind of um, call you're making. But I don't think that's really what we're talking about here. I think you're talking about somebody who sees something that they're concerned about, and it's probably just better all the way around to bring in someone. And if you have to call around a little bit to, you know, to find somebody you feel a little bit more comfortable with, go ahead and do it. It's, these things are not always quick and easy. You know, they're, in this day and age of immediacy, oftentimes people expect, you know, I'm going to snap my fingers and make a call and somebody's going to jump to help. And sometimes you got to do a lot more work than that, unfortunately. Absolutely. And like not all areas where animal hoarding exists are urban areas. In rural areas, I know Canada are, you know, we've got a lot more communities that are spaced out, and certainly that's true in other countries as well, um, that, you know, just not trying to be um, the lone... um, Honestly, if you're talking about your typical animal hoarding situation... Uh, not that it's okay, but these animals have lived in that in those conditions for a long, long time. So another day in the big picture of things is probably not going to be critical. You know, you've got time to, to do your due diligence. It's not like a dog, for example, who's been put in a hot car in a parking lot where minutes matter. Right, right. So it, it's like have perspective as well. Yeah. And um, after so- getting that expert assessment, because, you know, someone who really you know, has done this before, it can look at those animals and decide, is this an extremist situation? Or are there literally animals who are immediately in danger of, of you know, of, of death? And that's a very different situation from, gee, this is pretty bad. The conditions are really substandard, but, you know, we've got time to put in place the proper legal and, and medical procedures to get in there and do a proper intervention. Right. How does someone ensure that the shelter they want to adopt from or surrender to is a legitimate one? Well, I'm much, again, that's a very loaded word right there, legitimate, because <laughs> I'm not entirely okay. sure what is, you know, what is meant by that. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm trying to dig in, you know, what's, uh, and again, you're talking about two very different things, adopting versus surrendering. Um, the reason I ask is that we we um, we lost one of our dogs. Uh, she was elderly, and we had her elderly sister. And um, of course, the sister her sister started to deteriorate quickly um, out of uh, 
she was lonesome for her sister. And so we decided that we would um, adopt um, an elderly pet because she was elderly. And we let her pick um, one from a shelter that we'd heard about. And it turned out that that shelter actually was a vigilante group. And I mean, I thought I knew about animal hoarding where they actually were um, cutting um fences and taking people's pets and passing them along in a network and that was that was an eye-opener for me so that's why I ask that question how can you be sure um that who you're adopting from is a a legitimate shelter well that's again in this day and age especially with the internet as you pointed out this is easier said than done um so I guess I mean again depending on where you are these networks, you know, animal networks are pretty broad. And if you just start talking around to, you know, to other animal people, you talk, start talking around to, you know, again, veterinarians, you talk to trainers, you talk to various shelters and rescue groups. I mean, you know, you have a number of conversations and you're probably going to get a pretty good sense of who the various players are and what's going on. Um, okay. You know, there so are some I- states that actually license shelters. You know, it's not true in every state, but some states mm-hmm. do have certain kinds of licensing and inspection. So that would be another way to, um, you know, if, if your state is one of those, to try to get a sense of, um, you know, are they, quote, unquote, you know, do they have some sort of official standing? Uh, I suppose okay. one could also look at, I mean, if you're a nonprofit organization, um, you do have to file certain kinds of tax forms and things with some kind of information. You might look okay. at you know, how long the organization has been in business. You might look at the size of it. You might look at, uh, you know, who's on the board. (laughs) We're going to have to wrap. There's so much. I have to have you back, Dr. Patronick. There's so much more to to talk about. I know there's a lot to talk about. Thank you so, so much for sharing your time today. And let's, after the show, talk about another time to come back with all the other questions that uh, people will leave on my website. Um, So thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. And it was great having this quality of information. Um, And thank you to the listening audience. Um, I hope this was helpful. And we're going to get Dr. Patronick back to go over even more information. So if you've got questions, go to www.hoarding.ca. Contact us. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Elaine Birchall for another edition of Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you declutter your home and your life again next week. again for listening to the preceding program if you are seeking more confidence it is time to feel good naked that's the name of the radio show hosted by laura redmond each week laura and her guest experts are here to help you be you in order to be truly successful and happy you need self-confidence self-love and self-respect 
Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Join Voice America as we broadcast live from Pitbull's 41st National Hard Money Conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, featuring the CEO, Leonard Rosen. This is a one-day event for real estate professionals spotlighting on private money financing. The day features morning and afternoon sessions, Q&A, networking events, and live on-site interviews with all of the hard money changemakers. For more information about the Pitbull Conference, visit pitbullconference.com and tune in on Monday, October 24th, starting at 8 a.m. Eastern on our Voice America Live Events page. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week? It's the fame game. Listen as Maddie Rose, who is up and coming in the world of fame, brings you fame from all walks of life. You'll hear from doctors, teachers, mentors, life heroes, as well as those in the fields of acting, movies, music, and more. Who knows? You might be the next one Maddie Rose talks to on the air. Listen for the fame game every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 